Hey, if you ever doubt that the Holy Spirit is moving at Hope Des Moines, you see some of those moves going on up there. That was, that was pretty special. We love kids at Hope, and that's why we go all out for kids and for families. That's why we have uh, daddy-daughter and mother-son dances and, and parenting classes and Hope Kids and continue to reach out through our Wiz Kids program to neighborhood kids here on Thursday night as well. We love kids because kids are a big deal to God. Amen? And so we are so thankful for our awesome preschool that we have here uh, during the week that's now enrolling right now for next year, if you can believe it already. We love uh, our Hope Kids staff here at Hope Des Moines that does an awesome job uh, working with your kids and your grandkids every single week as well. Kids are a big deal to God as well. It's a big weekend here at Hope Des Moines. Uh, if you haven't noticed, not only are the kids singing, it's Groundhog Day, uh, by the way, but... Uh, I think there's a football game later today. Has anybody heard uh, about that as well? Now, at first I looked at all these, this, these Chiefs colors around here. I thought, well, we've got a lot of Iowa State fans in here. But no, there's Chiefs fans uh, in here. How many of you plan on watching the game later today? Any Super Bowl fans, football fans out there, up there? Okay, gotcha. Just a little poll, friendly poll, uh, so we know how divided we are as a church. Um, Chiefs fans in the house. Give me a holler of it there. Okay. Wow, wow. How many of you became Chiefs fans last week and jumped on? Okay, okay this, is, this is interesting. How many Niners fans out there? 49ers fans? Wow. We have some California folks out there today. That's good. How many of you are going to watch the game for the commercials alone? That's it. Any commercial people? There you go. Okay. How many people don't care about sports at all? Give me a little holler. Okay, good. That's Okay. The sports. We don't care about the sports, uh, the football. Whatever it is, that's okay because there's more to life than sports. There's more to life than football and the Super Bowl. And for us here at Hope this time of year, that means the Super Bowl, the S-O-U-P-E-R Bowl. And I am just looking at our lobby right now that used to be a lobby that some of you are sitting in. And the groceries continue to fill up the entire lobby and the walkway. Praise God for all of those food donations today. Thank you so much. That is incredible. Uh, last year, I believe, as a church across all of our six campuses of, of Hope, we filled up four semi-trucks full of food uh, again. And our goal this year, and I think we will well surpass that as well, is to fill up every single food pantry, not just in the Des Moines area, but in central Iowa, close to 90 food pantry locations all over central Iowa. The plan is to fill up every single shelf as Lutheran Church of Hope. So praise God for that. Praise God. Absolutely. And it has really nothing to do with us as a church. It's just it's what it means to be the church. This is what we are called to do as well. And so it's not so much uh, about hope. It's just about being the church. This is what we feel called to do. And it, it's, it's, if you think it's just kind of like, oh, this is this little, little drive we do, and I forgot, and it doesn't really matter what we do and, and all of that, that the numbers don't matter, I will tell you why the numbers matter. This just wrecked me this past week. There are 27,000 people a day in Polk County that struggle with having enough food. And 13,000 of them are kids. And as a parent of two young kids, myself, that were up here dancing around earlier today, that is unfathomable for me. I think every single one of us in this room, if we, if we had kids or grandkids that didn't know where their next meal was coming from, we would do whatever it took. And that's why we do what we do as well. That's why this matters. And so your donations matter. In fact, as our, our students, our high school students, our junior high students uh, are serving on our hospitality teams today as well. Uh, and we have so many kids from surrounding schools here uh, in the neighborhoods and in the city. Do you know that most elementary, middle, and high school students now in the, in the Des Moines School District have food pantries? 
And so your food, a lot of your food here today is going to a couple of those high school food pantries to make sure that those students have enough food to make it through the weekend, depending on their family situation. So that is why this matters, and that's why we do this as a church. So thank you for the impact uh, that you are making uh, in that as well. And if you want to stick around after the service today, the lobby will just fill up and be a mess, and we could use some extra help to help sort that food to get it to those pantries in the way that they would desire. So if you want to stick around after, you can do that. But I, I love weekends like this because I love the image of just hundreds of you walking in with those bags of, of groceries because I feel like this is what church is supposed to look like, right? It's about what we're bringing, not just what I can get, right? We we call it a worship service, not a worship consumption, right? We don't come to consume religion. We come to bring the gifts that we have and bring our worship to God because he's worthy of it, regardless of what's going on in our lives. And so I just love your generosity as a church. You are an incredibly generous church, not just with your, your finances and your gifts and your tithes and things like that, but with your food donations and with your time as well. It has already been a huge weekend. I'm a little tired. We've had a busy couple days as a church, as you saw in the Hope 360. Yesterday was our first official workday at our brand new facility uh, on 2500 University. We had over 100 people show up to work and just got an incredible amount of work done uh, in just about two and a half hours as well. And we got right after it because literally 17 hours uh, we were in the building after we took the possession of the building, which officially became property of Lutheran Church of Hope on Friday. So praise God for that. We're excited about that. Um, man. So thank you. And I, I probably don't tell you this enough, and I, I'm just going to sound like a broken record here, but thank you. Um, and maybe I say that a lot, but I, I, I really mean it. Um, I'm just blown away by you as a church. And this isn't about like, hey, the pastor's up here and all the other people are down here. I just, I loved working with you yesterday. I loved sweating with you <laughs> and getting sore muscles with you uh, from carrying stuff yesterday. And it's just so good to be the church. And I'm just so thankful that you're a church that gets it, that it's not about what I can get out of it. It's what I can give. And I, I saw your generosity just come through big time this weekend. I don't have to convince you that it's worth it to go all in for Jesus. That's who you are as a church. And so I am so thankful for you. And I just as I'm staring at a lobby full of groceries and people I know that gave four hours out of their time yesterday to help us transform this 130-year-old church building into a place where the breath of God is breathing new life and the Holy Spirit is already at work, that we get to join him here. I am blown away with gratitude. So thank you for being an incredible, incredible church. I love being on this mission with you. It's a huge weekend here as well. So enough about you. Let's get to Jesus, all right? If you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 8 uh, as well. It's another big weekend because we're starting a new series today across all of our campuses at Hope. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give one to you for free today. Take one, take 12, and give them to your friends. They're in the back corners of the worship center. Those are for you to take, uh, or you can pull out your Bible app uh, on your phone. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 today, and we're not starting a new book. We're still in the book of Matthew, but we're starting a new look at Jesus. So the, these three months to start the year of 2020, we're all eyes on Jesus. And so we're looking at the Gospels, particularly the book of Matthew. In the last three weeks, we've kind of focused on Jesus' divinity. And so we're shifting gears a little bit. In the next three to four weeks, we're going to focus on Jesus as a miracle Worker, And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at some different miracles uh, that Jesus has done as well. And it, again, I just want to say, if you're new today, if you haven't been in church for a while, I am so glad that you are here. There is zero 
guilt in that. And if you haven't cracked open your Bible since you can't remember when, today is a great day to start. It is never a bad time to start reading. If you don't know where Matthew is, that's okay. Chances are the person next to you doesn't know either. So you're in this together, all right? If you have no idea where to find Matthew, you can find the table of contents. Or what I like to do is just go about like that with my Bible, and chances are you're going to be close to it, okay? It's going to be in the back fourth of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. Everybody say Gospel. Gospel is the good news of Jesus. And so we want to make this really accessible uh, for you today. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 8, which is the big number 8. And then the little number, uh, verse 1, is where we're going to start today. Jesus and the disciples are going to encounter a storm. They're going to get in a boat and they're going to encounter a storm. And before we get into the story, I just want to make it personal for us today for you to know why this story matters. And I just want to ask you a question. What sort of storms are you facing in your life these days? As you think about whether it's going on out here or maybe it's going on in here, what sort of storms are you facing? Whether we realize it or not, every single one of us that walked in those doors this morning comes with different storms that we face. Maybe for you, it's sickness. I've talked to a lot of young parents, and they're like, yeah, my kids have been sick since October. I'm like, join the club, right? It's hard, right? Maybe you've been sick. Maybe somebody you love uh, has been hospitalized or received a diagnosis that they were not looking forward to. I've talked to so many people that are battling the loss of a job these days. Maybe for you, it's your marriage that is hitting wave after wave of of disappointment and frustration. Maybe it's what we talked about earlier. You've got some kids, and you're just at your wit's end. We can talk about them because they're upstairs now, and you're um, you're having some struggles, and there's a lot of guilt that I sense in parents about the behavior of my kids, and we let the choices that our kids make determine our self-esteem and our self-worth as a parent from day to day based on how my kids happen to behave, especially in public. And you're struggling with a lot of guilt and and, and shame from that. Maybe there's an unexpected hit to your budget from a house or a car repair or something like that. But it's not just the storms that we face on the outside, it's the storms that we face on the inside. I think all of us struggle with doubts, with insecurities, with battles with our self-worth, maybe fears about the future or guilt or shame over a mistake that we made in the past. Maybe for some of you, it's an addiction that you're quietly fighting that nobody else knows about sitting around you today. That we have hurts and we have habits, ugly habits and and hang-ups, addictions that we battle that we'll never even speak about that nobody knows about, well, except the God that created you. And you feel so utterly alone and stuck in that today. And so the question for us today is not if the storms come, it's when the storms come, what's your default reaction to the storms that you face in life, to the battles that you face? What is your default reaction? Because the way that we respond to the storms in our lives will determine the course of our lives. And nobody knows that better than the disciples here in Matthew chapter 8. So if you found Matthew, if you're there in Matthew chapter 8, say, I'm there. I'm there. Awesome. What I want to do is I want to start before the miracle. Because there's another Uh, important part of this story for us to read. I want to set the stage for you in this story. We need to go back to the beginning of the chapter. For the past several days, as recorded in in about the first 25 verses of Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has been busy. Jesus has been feeling overwhelmed. Anybody had a busy week? Am I the only one? Okay, I think we've seen some nods out there. We can relate to Jesus in this way. He's been busy. Just in the beginning of chapter 8, Jesus has healed a leper. He's healed the centurion's servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's cast out many demons. And because of this, Jesus is growing in popularity. He's becoming a rock star. He's becoming a celebrity. And the crowds are gathering around him, and they're lifting him up and shouting his name. The crowds are growing. Everybody has needs. And Jesus, get this, 
is exhausted. You know, sometimes we forget that Jesus was fully human, that he's experienced everything that you might be experiencing today. He's exhausted. He's drained, mentally and physically drained, and not, not to mention the opposition of many in the religious establishment that want him dead, okay? Jesus is bombarded with this, and he's tired, and I don't want you to miss this. There was a storm going on in Matthew chapter 8 before they even got in the boat. The constant bombardment, it was the storm of life, the pain of this world, people without boundaries, not respecting your boundaries, gossip about you, the constant demands and needs of people. It's really too bad we can't relate with the Bible at all. There's nothing here for us. I'm just kidding. Here's what I love about the Gospels. They show us Jesus' divinity, and we're going to get a glimpse of that in a few verses here as he calms the storm. But don't miss Jesus' humanity. And what I want to propose to you this morning is what if chapter 8 wasn't just about Jesus calming a physical storm, but it was about Jesus showing us how to find rest and peace in the midst of the storm called life. If there's anything that I hear on a regular basis as I meet with a lot of you and just listen to your stories and get to know you, and by the way, if you're new and we haven't had a chance to do that yet, I drink more coffee than anybody should during the week, but it's to hang out with you. Uh, And when I talk to you, I, I hear this theme come up over and over again, far and beyond any other theme, and it's this. I am so overwhelmed. I am so overwhelmed. Some of you are like, we barely made it to church in one piece this morning. Thank God the kids are clothed and fed, but that's about it, Okay. You are overwhelmed and, and because of life's demands. And it almost feels like when you feel that for so long, we're kind of trapped. And we either feel like nothing's ever going to change and we feel trapped. Or we kind of resign our fact, our, ourselves to the fact that, well, this is the way that things are always going to be. And I hear this phrase a lot. And I find myself saying it as a young dad sometimes too. Well, it's just a season. And we, we, because we're in this busy season, because we have kids or grandkids or something, the job or whatever's going on in my life, because I'm in this season, I can't really get involved. I can't really go all in for the church. I can't really, I can't really do anything more for God. I can't, I can't serve. I, uh, we, can't get, we don't have time to, to get in a small group as a couple. Whatever it is, I, I'm just in that season right now. And my concern with that and the danger is when it's just a season turns into five years. Well, it's just a season turns into 10 years and we miss it. Instead, what Jesus models for us is something I want to call this morning benevolent detachment. Benevolent detachment. Maybe you've never heard that phrase before, but let me explain it to you. Meaning that Jesus fully engaged with the people and the needs around him, okay? And yet he didn't let the demands of life determine his healthy boundaries, okay? We are going into the realm of emotional health. This church is incredibly passionate about physical health. We have more marathon runners and sprinters and recreational runners and cyclists and just athletes and bodybuilders and physical trainers in this church than anybody else. We love our physical health, but I think we can grow in as a church, all of us, is the realm of emotional health. Watch what Jesus does in verse 18. This is caring for our souls, okay? When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake, okay? A.K.A. disciples, we're peacing out, okay? Peace out, everybody. We are leaving, okay? Jesus left, not when he'd already crashed and burned, 
Not when the crowds died down, but precisely at the moment that most of us would have craved the spotlight, Jesus left. He just left. He was, the crowds were so big that at this moment, before they got in the boat, Jesus was teaching from the water in a boat, and the crowds kept encroaching around him and pushing him farther and farther up the beach. Jesus left. Get this, not because he didn't care, but because he did. He knew where his strength and his rest and his life flowed from, and that was time with his father. That was time to pause and rest. And so in the pinnacle of his celebrity status, with all the needs of the world to make him feel good and needed, that all of us like, we like to feel needed, Jesus simply chose to take care of himself. And he walked away. And he left. Okay, I can't do that for much longer. That was awkward. All right. Some of you are like, pastor just left, right? Don't miss this. How was Jesus able to do that? How did he have the guts to do that? That moment happened because of the moment that happened back in Matthew chapter 3 that we looked at a few weeks ago. The heavens opened up and Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And in that moment, he heard the words of his father. This is my son. With him, I am well pleased. Don't miss this. Write this down. Take a picture of the screen. Embed it in your heart and your mind. Because when you've heard the whisper of the approval of God, you don't have to pander to the roar of the crowds. I don't think you got it. Let me say it again. When you've heard the whisper of approval from your heavenly Father, you don't have to pander to the roar of the crowds to the opinions of others, to the naysayers. You don't have to pander to the accolades or the popularity. Jesus' identity fueled his activity. And you and I, we do the opposite. Our self-worth so often is fueled by our performance. If I have a good week, I'm up and I feel good. If If my kids make good decisions, if they get straight A's, if my kid made the traveling team, then I'm up and I'm great as a parent or a grandparent or whatever it is. My job performance at work, when I'm up and up and when I'm down, I'm down. What if you could tether it to something that wasn't moving and shaking? The problem is we don't run on God. We run on the opinions of others and the amount of likes or thumbs up or loves that we get on Facebook or Instagram. Jesus separated, had the ability emotionally to separate his identity from his performance. And it would be good of us to follow his lead in that. But more than that, Jesus modeled rest and peace in the middle of life's storms. I love how the late great uh, biblical theologian J.B. Phillips puts it. I love this. He said, Christ's task and responsibility might have driven a man out of his mind, but he was never in a hurry, never impressed by numbers, never a slave of the clock. He was acting, as he said, as he observed God to act, never in a hurry. Anybody else struggle with constantly being in a a hurry, in a rush? Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus was always busy, but never in a hurry. He was always fully present. And the difference is a condition of the soul. Is your soul at rest even in the middle of the overwhelming nature of life? And the difference that Phillips is pointing out here is the difference between being driven and called. 
A lot of you are so driven. You're driven as parents. You're driven as grandparents. You're driven as employees. You're driven as friends, whatever your roles are in life. But the problem is that driven people, although they're very passionate and work 70 hours a week and get a lot done, driven people have no boundaries. And so they drive themselves into overwhelming exhaustion because they don't have any healthy boundaries because they don't know who they are. The difference is called people get their assignment from God to find a healthy rhythm because they know that an assignment from God is never going to drive them to exhaustion. God wants to care for your soul. Jesus wants to care for your heart. It's called benevolent detachment. How do we do that? I want to get really, really practical for us this morning. And and trust me, I'm in this with you. The reason I'm preaching about it is because I'm learning how to do it myself. So I'm right in there with you. The first thing I think God calls us to do is ask some really hard questions on the soul level, some questions about our identity, and to dig into in what ways is my identity either tethered to my performance or in what ways is my identity tethered to the opinions of others? And does it rise or fall or do I have an anchor to my soul that roots me even on those hard days or weeks. Find a really good counselor. I have recommended counseling to so many people in this church, and they have loved it. Counseling, (laughs) I was about to say counseling doesn't mean you have issues. You do. You have issues. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have issues. Tell them that right now. You've got issues. Hate to break it to you, okay? (laughs) Counseling isn't for those people. It's for you. It's for me. I've been in counseling for the last decade. Why? Because if you go to get your oil changed on your car, it's because you care about it. Why would you not care for your own soul? Ask the tough questions. The second thing I think that God calls us to do is to accept Jesus' invitation to come to him for rest. And the way that we do that is daily, and we do that weekly. How do you set up a daily rhythm to have an anchor to your soul? One of the ways that my wife Tiffany and I have done this, we've been a part of this ministry called Ransom Heart Ministries and have uh, really been blessed by, by John Eldridge and a lot of his writings and things like that. Well, his ministry just recently came out with an app, and this is ingenious because what's the one, one thing uh, that you always have with you for a lot of us is our phone, right? I don't have my Bible with me all the time, okay? It doesn't fit in my pocket, okay? But my Bible's on here, and they invented this app, and it's simply called Pause. I just want to get really practical for a second. You can download it for free, Android, Apple, iTunes Store, whatever it is. It's called Pause. If you have your phone out and you're downloading it right now, that's fine. I'll trust you're listening. But it's beautiful. And there's one-minute, three-minute, five-minute, and ten-minute guided prayers. And you can set it to go off at certain times in your day, and it interrupts me. So I have it at 10.30 and 2.30 in my day. And it's like an anchor to the storm. Because I don't know about you, but... Do any of you have a really good time with God? You got coffee and Jesus in the morning. You're feeling good and you get to work and then all you know what breaks loose and you're middle of the storm of life and your boss is mad at you and you had an argument with your spouse before you left for work and you're late to work and you're stressed out and you have road rage and your coworker frustrates you and all of a sudden you're in the, and you're thrown off. That's why this app is so powerful because it can bring you back and you just spend one, three, five minutes with Jesus and it centers you. And it's all based on this simple prayer. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. What if you paused two or three times throughout your day, whatever the demands of life are, like Jesus, and you said, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And the reason we pray that prayer, just like Jesus did to his father, is because you and I are not meant to handle the bombardment of information that comes to us on screens in our life 
and the cares of the world and carry that on our own shoulders. You were never meant to do that. That's Jesus' job. So give it to him. And I will tell you this. We do this with the kids. We started doing it just after our evening devotions, after our meal. We started doing it on, on the way to school for them. I was bringing uh, Evie, our four-year-old, to preschool here at Hope Des Moines the other week. And normally we just crank the VBS music and, and everything. And we were listening to that, and she said, Daddy, can we do the phone prayer thing? And so I pull out, and we did it for three minutes on the way here. And kind of the music starts playing, and then the guided prayer starts. And I just look back quick because I'm driving. And our four-year-old goes, and she was locked in for three minutes don't tell me that kids don't have storms raging on the inside of their hearts and I will tell you this if you're like oh that's cute it's the pastor's kids they're so prayerful five minutes later her and her brother are like each other okay that's why we need it okay and we need that as well what we're modeling for them in this is not parents who don't have problems or ever get overwhelmed that's precisely the reason, is we do get overwhelmed sometimes. I've had my son, my six-year-old, come up to me in really tough moments and say, Daddy, are you doing okay? Go, oh, I'm kind of having a hard time. And in my good moments, I say, should we pray about it? Yeah, let's do the phone prayer thing. And we, and we pull that out and let that guide us through. The reason we do that is because we want to model for them, grandparents, parents, not perfect parents, but parents, a mom and a dad that are fully dependent on God. Benevolent detachment. I can't do this on my own, and I can't be the father that's going to do everything for you kids. I need to point you to my heavenly father, because I want to go to him for strength and wisdom, just like Jesus did. We want to be dependent on him. So we do it daily, and secondly, we do it weekly. And I don't need to preach a whole sermon about this, because I've done that before, but the idea of Sabbath. This is not a suggestion from God. It's a command from God. One 24-hour period where you do nothing, where you stop and your focus is rest and play and relationships. And some of you are like, ah, we can't, uh, our family schedule, I can't do 24 hours. Start with, a, start with a half day. Start with a few hours where you don't have to produce anything. You have no agenda. And that is the point. And we do this with our kids. For us, it's Mondays. That's our Sabbath for us because the weekends are a little busy. And I've had Caleb come home after school and for five or six hours as he's watching us have Sabbath, he's like, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? What are we going to do today? And I look at him and I go, nothing. <laughs> I know it sounds so countercultural, doesn't it, moms and dads? Nothing. And then he gets bored and it's beautiful. And I'm like, Caleb, are you bored? Yeah. But then they get used to it because you know what boredom breeds? Creativity and the space to listen to God. Are your kids' lives so full that there's no room to hear from their heavenly Father? They need him more, way more than they need you. Create the space, create boredom, create Sabbath, create rest. God's got it. So the moral of the story so far in Matthew chapter 8, there was a storm going on long, long, long before they got in the boat. But they did. Some of you are like, get to the miracle. Let's get to the miracle, okay? So we get there. Look at verse 24, okay? Jesus and the disciples get in a boat to get away from the crowd, and the storm comes up. It's called a squall. This is like a cross between a, a, a storm at sea and a hurricane, basically. And you can tell that it's a big deal because a lot of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. They were professional fishermen, and yet they are freaking out in this moment. And here's one of the best parts of the story. Verse 24 in, in chapter 8, it says, But Jesus was sleeping, and Mark's gospel adds on a cushion. 
because why do we need to know that? I don't know. But Jesus was sleeping on a cushion in the middle of the storm. Everybody's asking these days, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I'm like, take a nap, baby. That's what Jesus would do, okay? So there's your biblical proof. If you need a nap, you know, take an afternoon nap. Jesus did it, okay? But look at verse 25. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Mark's gospel puts it this way. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? You see, they're not just freaking out about the storm. They are literally questioning the heart of God. And I think that for all of us, we've asked that. God, don't you care? Whether we've ever verbalized it or not, but in the storms that rage in our own heart, some of you are right in the middle of one today. God, where are you in the middle of my storm? Don't you care about my marriage? Don't you care about my job? Don't you care about my diagnosis? Where, where were you when the divorce happened? God, where were you in that storm? How do you respond when the storms of life come? And certainly as I looked inside my own heart and as I look at the people around me, I think there's some default reactions that you and I have when the storms of life come. Could be the big things, could be the small things. The first reaction I think a lot of us have, <laughs> simply, we freak out. Okay? Who are my freak out people here this morning? You're in church, don't lie, right? I'm a freak out person, right? Sometimes I just forget who God is in those moments and I just freak out and we stress about things we can't control and we pull others into it. We freak out and we forget who God is. Secondly, some of us might fall, not, not so much a freak out, but we fall, uh, our default reaction is that of moralism. Moralism, let me describe that. It's this, something bad happens to you, you're having a really tough week or a really tough month or a tough couple years, all these bad things have happened to you and you go right to, well, I'm sure there's something wrong with me. I must have ticked God off. I must have done something bad and God's angry with me or he's like getting back at me or he's getting even. I must be on the naughty list. Oh, wait, that's not God. That's Santa, right? I must, I, I, I must not be reading my Bible enough. I, I must not be praying enough. Or I must need to go to church. But the problem is with any of those things I just said, they're not in the Bible. That's not the reason that the storms come. And for some of you, no, it's not moralism. It's more cynicism. For some of you, you've, ha you've, you've been the victim for so long and it, life seems like it's crashing down on top of you that you, you don't realize it, but you find that your default reaction when things happen is, this always happens to me. Of course this would happen to our family. And little by little, every time we believe that, the seeds of bitterness are sown in our hearts. And that becomes the filter then through which we view everything that happens to us in life. I'm a victim. The world's out to get me. My boss is out to get me. My spouse is out to get me. And the enemy is like, perfect. I've got a wedge between them. They, my spouse always does that. My kids always react like that. That's bitterness and it's cynicism. And the problem with that is that being jaded is, is an exhausting way to live. And worst of all, it steals your joy. Some of you are like, no, 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 it's not that. But if we look back at the story, it's not any one of those three examples. It's actually a fourth reaction that the disciples have that a lot of us do sometimes, and it's minimizing God. We minimize God. Sometimes it's easy to forget who we're dealing with, the one who created the sea to begin with. Look at verse 26. Jesus replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? He gets up from his nap. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. 
Other translations will say the storm was stilled or the storm was hushed. And that Greek word, the original Greek is for hushed is pephimoso. Everybody say pephimoso. Kind of sounds like something you take if your stomach's having issues. Um, <laughs> pephimoso can literally be translated, get this, as muzzled. It's used twice in the whole Bible. The storm was pephimoso, muzzled. This is the word that we use for like rabid dogs or angry dogs or wild wolves or bears. And you muzzle them. It takes all the bite. It takes all the power out of them. Jesus literally muzzled the sea. And how was he able to do that? What, what the wind and the waves are just like, oh, sure, I'll back off. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. Because who created the sea to begin with? Jesus. The disciples have no clue who they're dealing with. God is in the boat. And the same God that spoke the wind and the waves into being, the wind and the waves went, I've heard that voice before. It's the God that made me. And so, of course, I have to bow to his authority because it's God, because it's Jesus who took all the fear and all the bite out of the storm. And I don't know about you, but when I'm going through the storms of life, everybody's talking about, oh, you know, they say, I'll be praying for you, or I'll send some positive vibes your way. And I know people are well-intentioned when they say that, but when I'm hurting, when I'm struggling, and when I'm going through the storms of life, I don't need optimistic, uh, optimistic life. I don't need positive thoughts or positive vibes. I need the power of Jesus Christ in my boat with me. Amen? That's what we need. That's what we need more than anything else. What if Jesus' point in this miracle isn't to show us that all of our storms are going to go away? It's to remind us of who's in your boat. Because I don't know about you, some of you, but you started following Jesus and your life got harder. Mine did. It'd be a lot easier not to do this. It'd be a lot easier just to kind of do my own thing. Following Jesus doesn't make life easy. Following Jesus makes life worth living. Satisfies your soul. And we learn in this story that the presence of a storm does not equal the absence of God. And some of you have believed that your entire life. Bad things are happening. This happened. This happened to me. God must be distant. When the Bible says precisely the opposite, when you are hurting, when you are struggling, when you have doubts, when you don't know if you believe, when you don't know that you've made a mistake too bad that I shouldn't show up at church, it's precisely in those moments that God is the closest to you that he's ever been. Jesus was in the boat with them, and they forgot that God was there. God is always working behind the scenes when we least expect it. And this isn't some hypothetical exercise or story that I'm saying. And I know we've used a lot of personal and individual examples so far, but this is our story as a church as well. Because not all storms are bad. Some storms can just feel overwhelming at times. And you know it's been... <laughs> It's been quite the ride if you've been around here the last six months. And if you haven't, I'll, I'll catch you up. In the last six months as a church, we've done a $1.3 million giving campaign that you gave to. We have purchased a huge new facility on university. We voted to sell this building last week. We are currently renovating that entire 66,000 square foot facility. We are pursuing a revolutionary partnership that you heard about a couple weeks ago with Elam Christian Fellowship, where there is no handbook for this relationship at all. You have two healthy churches, a predominantly white church and a predominantly black church, multicultural church, coming together and choosing to come together, that we look different and we talk different 
different and we worship different from different denominations coming together, not because we need to, but because we want to, to build bridges of harmony for all people. And that's just the last six months. Praise God. You can clap for that. Absolutely. And <laughs> some of you are like, oh, Pastor Johnny's got this big plan and he saw this coming a mile away. I got to be honest. Most days, I just look at God, and this is so overwhelming, and go, God, what in the world are you doing, right? And who am I, this kid from Story City? And who are we as a church to lead out on this? And I find myself asking in the quietness of my own heart, uh, so God, you got this, right? This is crazy. We just bought a 130-year-old church building. You, you got this, Right? We're partnering with this multicultural church. You, you, you got this, right? And God is so good at reminding me. God says, my church, not yours. My dreams, not yours. My agenda, my preferences, not yours. This has always been about him and not about us. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. This vision is bigger than Lutheran Church of Hope. It's about the kingdom. And because of that, our primary questions as we prepare to move to this new building is not what's in it for me, or I hope that I like the music, or I wonder who the preacher or the staff or whatever it's going to be. It's about how can we grow God's kingdom. And if that means partnering with other churches or organizations that are different than us, we're going to do it. Because it's about proclaiming the name of Jesus and, 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 and building the kingdom. And because of that, the last couple months, these opportunities have just been laid in front of us. We weren't even looking for them. They just came. And so today, I'm just, I'm super pumped to announce this. The first time I've announced it uh, this weekend, that starting this fall, Hope Des Moines at our new building is officially going to be the new home of JCA West, which is an extension campus of Joshua Christian Academy, providing affordable, Christ-centered education for middle school and elementary students starting on the fourth floor this fall at our brand new building. Yeah, we can't do that in the room you're sitting in right now. And here's how cool God is. So JCA has been a mission partner of Hope for, for years. And God has been doing incredible things to these kids that would never have access to a quality private school level uh, education. Not only that, but, but Christ-centered as well. And, and providing this opportunity for them. And here's the cool thing. Long before we ever bought this building, and we're even looking for it in the Drake neighborhood because we weren't, the board, the board of directors of Joshua Christian Academy was, was overflowing at their current site on the east side of Des Moines, and they were saying, you know what, we have a huge contingency of people in the Drake neighborhood. And they were already looking to start a site there, and so it just lined up, and God put it in front of us, and we're like, absolutely we would love to do that, right? God didn't give us a big old church building to just use it ourselves. God gave us a church building to share it and to give it away for the sake of the kingdom, Amen. So that's why we're doing it. That's why we're called to do that. Because God loves kids. And so they're starting a second site. We're going to remain separate entities. Hope is not starting a school. I'd be a terrible principal. And that's not my career choice. I'm going to stick to my, my day job here. We're separate entities, but we are going to be working together as partners. And we're so excited for that. But here's what I will tell you. When you talk about the storms of life, I started digging into it and talking to the administration at JCA and talking about some of the, the storms that these kids have been through. And you name it, they've been through it. 90% of these kids don't have a father in the home. They've never met, they've never met a dad. They're lost in the storm of life. So you have single parents trying to raise these kids 
lot of them that came here with nothing, and they're hurting, and they're caught in the storm, and, and JCA has been this anchor that's been dropped in the middle of the storm in their life. And so I don't want to tell you about it. I want to show you a quick little introduction, a quick little video to introduce you to our next ministry venture as a church, Joshua Christian Academy. Take a look. We started out with nine students, and we're sitting there thinking, boy, what have we got ourselves into? <laughs> but God has blessed it. It's exciting to look back because we started out in the fall of 2009 with one teacher, nine students. I had just retired from the Des Moines Public Schools, and uh, Reverend Ratliff called me and said that they were going to organize a, a Christian school uh, in the inner city, and would I be interested? I said, what would you want me to teach? And he said, well, what would you like to teach? And I said, yes. It started in the church, and I think that's very, very key, especially in the urban community. They need to understand that Jesus is the answer for our world today. The opportunity to bring Christian education into the city, to be here in the city, in the neighborhood where our students live, that's huge. Many urban children would never have the opportunity to go to a Christian school, even though their parents may have wanted them to, but the finances, the economics would not allow it. It's, it's like a crossroads, it's a melting pot. The last class, our Bible doctrines class, we were just talking about how diverse our classroom is. We have African-American, Caucasian, um, people from Hispanic heritage, uh, Asian heritage in the same classroom different denominations, but we can all get together and worship every morning together in chapel. And you know, that just wasn't always the case. Martin Luther King said that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning was the most segregated hour uh, in America. With all the things that are going around in the world today, it's important to show people that Jesus is about love and people coming together. Watch for where God is at work and go join him there. And that really sums up our involvement at JCA because God is at work at this school. There is no doubt about it. I see sullen, unhappy little children when they first come who become blossoming. They are happy, they're smiling. And we've seen many of those through the years. I'm excited every morning to get up and come to school to see what God is gonna do today. Some people act like there are no miracles. I believe every day God provides miracles. Amen. We give God praise. Absolutely. You bet. Oh, man, you guys, there's miracles all around us today. We could not be more excited about the opportunity to bless these families and to welcome them into our church family for years to come as well. And there, there's lots more to come on this, and we'll keep you tuned to ways that you can be involved and serve in that way. But, but why JCA? Because God cares about kids. God is passionate about the next generation of this city, both educationally and emotionally and spiritually, most importantly. And God loves those kids just as much as he loves your kids this morning. Amen? That's why we're doing this, because that's what we're called to do as the church. Because if we as adults need a, an anchor in the storms of life, certainly these kids that don't have those tools need an anchor in the middle of their lives as well. 
And so whether we're pursuing, you know, new ministry ventures or facing the everyday storms of life, there's a new way. There's a different way to approach those storms and respond to those storms. I want to give you a few quick examples. Instead of freaking out and God must hate me or, or whatever, I, there's, better, there's a better way. And Jesus shows us that in Matthew chapter 8. Number one, I believe that Jesus calls us to change our filter. And I'm not talking about your car. I'm talking about the way that you see life, the way that the lens through which you process the hardships of life instead of freaking out and, and I'm just going to default to that, our default becomes God's word. Not what I feel from day to day, but what God's promises are for me every single day. And so the lens that I'm viewing the storms through is now God's word, that he's never going to leave me. And God's light shines in the darkness and I'm never alone and he's given me what I need to trust him every single day. So we change our filter. Secondly, what we do in the storms of life is you don't travel alone. An overlooked part of the story here is that, yes, the disciples weren't alone because Jesus was there. They had each other. And I think the, the, the reason that some of you struggle so much with the storms of your life, you don't have any shipmates. You don't have any real friends. And you can find that, and audaciously we believe that you can find those types of relationships in the church, not surface-level church relationships. Some of you are like, I'm not doing a small group at church. Cheese ball. Surface-level relationships. I'm talking about real, genuine friends that are not going to leave you when the storm comes. Do you have shipmates? We can help you with that. It's called life groups, and we have 22 of them here at Hope Des Moines. You can get involved with them. So don't travel alone. And last but not least, how do we view the storms of our life? We live with the end in mind. I'm sure you've all watched a movie or read a book where you're in the middle of it, and it feels like the darkness is winning. You're the favorite hero or heroine is, is almost at their wit's end. And you, and you want to pause it. You want to fast forward because you don't know how the story ends. But then the problem is you do and you know everything works out in the end. That, that God's got it in the end. And so as you watch that story again, you're not freaking out this time. And you're not living in fear because you know how the story ends. Is the same is true in our relationship with God. I'm guessing the next time the disciples got in a boat with Jesus, we don't get to read about it, but I'm sure it happened. The next time they got in a boat with Jesus and a storm came up, they were like, he's got it. He's the storm crasher, baby. So I don't have to freak out because we're living with the end in mind. And not only has Jesus muzzled the storm, Jesus has muzzled the power of sin and death for you and me through his work on the cross and rising again in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, death, where sin is your bite? It has no power over me any anymore. Oh, the storms are going to come, but Jesus is in my boat. Death is not the end. All the bite's been taken out of it. And we need that reminder this week just as much as any other week. This terrible tragedy that I'm sure you heard about, it's a worldwide tragedy, nationwide. People are just brokenhearted over this tragedy of, of NBA legend and star Kobe Bryant and his daughter, his teenage daughter, Gianna. Seven other people on this tragic fluke helicopter crash that claimed all of their lives in an instant. And I don't remember being wrecked by a storm like this in a long time. I was a mess this last week. I was talking to Tiffany about it. I'm like, I don't normally get this moved and shooken up by like a celebrity's die. Like that's a part of life. But I was just 
a wreck. And we, we were doing a Q&A the other night at Revive, our young adult ministry, and, and people were submitting questions, and Chris and I were up here, and I got a question that somebody wrote on a card, and it said, Pastor John, what's your biggest question of life? And I'm like, geez, turn it back on me, okay. And we had just talked about Kobe and this tragic death of him and his daughter, and I said, it's that. A lot of times you maybe think that pastors or preachers have it all together and we have all the answers. I said, it's that. Because I don't get it. And I don't have some special line to God where I get the answer and you don't. I, I don't. I don't have the answer for that. I don't know. I'm just brokenhearted the whole week. I didn't even want to watch anything or scroll through my feed because I didn't want to think about it. And I think it's because I've got a little girl at home and some of you do as well and I can't fathom can't fathom what they experienced and it would be very easy to just kind of say oh wow well death got the best of us and there's no hope (laughs) but I will tell you this this is why this story in Matthew 8 matters because storms are all around us and sometimes it's a storm of death for us or for other people This is why the resurrection matters. This is why what we do as a church matters. (laughs) It matters because life is so fragile and life is so short. What is your plan for eternity? What is your plan? And does your family know that? Do your kids know where you stand? Do your kids know what you believe? Not that you show up for a church service once in a while. Do they know what's in your heart? Do they know the core of what makes mom or dad or grandpa and grandpa? What makes that relationship with Jesus real? Because life can be over just like that. Not that we live in fear, but we live with intentionality. Kobe started living with the end in mind. About 10 or 12 years ago, he was going through a terrible time in his life, and he was living for himself. He's a billionaire. He had everything the world could offer, and it didn't satisfy his soul. And so he turned things around, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he got his family, and they started attending church every single week. They started attending mass together. We won't hold the Catholic thing against them, but they did it, okay? And he said, we're going to live as a family with the end in mind, and I'm going to be unashamedly a dad of girls, and I'm going to pour my life into them. And the number one task that I have as a dad is to make sure they know that I have a relationship with God and that we're going to live forever. Because eternity is a really long time to live for just the short blip of a moment that this life is. And he led his family in a new direction. So we are devastated by this tragedy, but we still have hope because death has been muzzled. The worst thing that this life could ever throw at us has been defeated. It has no power. It has no bite. Death is not the end of the story. And if that's the case, it means that cancer is not the end of the story. And your heartache from a past relationship is not the end of the story. And your parents' divorce that happened many years ago is not your fault and doesn't have to define you for the rest of your life. And your own divorce does not have to be the end of the story. And mental illness doesn't have to be the end of the story. And poverty in the city of Des Moines doesn't have to be the end of the story. And depression does not have to be the end. And the fear that you have of the future doesn't have to be the end. All because of who is in our boat. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the storm crasher. Amen. Let's stand together as we prepare our hearts for communion.